Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Hello and welcome to our third and final part of our short series on economic security. We already published our conversations with Emily Benson, a director at CSIS, and Kazuto Suzuki, director of the Institute of Geoeconomics. Both are recorded at the sidelines of the Advancing Economic Security Forum, previously known as the Allied Economic Forum. My name is Johannes Hellerjohn and today I'm very happy to be joined by our expert Francesca Chiretti. She was a participant at the forum as well, and you will recognize her voice as she is the person who conducted the preceding interviews in the series. Welcome to the podcast, Francesca. Thank you, Johannes. Thank you for having me. This question might come a bit late, but could you say a few words about the scope and aim of the Advancing Economic Security Forum and maybe what was special about this year's iteration? The Advancing Economic Security Forum, as you rightfully mentioned, used to be called Allied Economic Forum. We've decided to change the name also to make it a little bit more comprehensive. So to maybe anticipate the answer to your second question, which is what, what was special about the latest uh, round that we held in Berlin, was that we decided to expand a little bit of scope. And this was the result mainly of the fact that the economic security agenda and therefore our meetings have become so full of items and topics to discuss and the importance of an increasing number of actors has enhanced in the past few months and years. But yeah, I was I was anticipating maybe a little bit too much. Uh, the Advancing Economic Security Forum uh, was launched by the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Um, following the idea and the principle that certain economic security policies and the economic security agenda requires coordination with other partners, especially like-minded partners. Following this idea, they have sought for partners in Europe and in Asia. Uh, Merix is lucky to be one of these partners. And then there is Institut Montagne in France, the Klingendor Institute in the Netherlands, and the most recent addition at the Institute of Geoeconomics from Japan. Um, so yes, so this is what the, the forum is. And as you've rightfully mentioned, the former two podcasts uh, were recording during our last session in Berlin in July. And uh, we were lucky enough to have all the partners there. So what kind of questions were discussed at the forum this July? This is always an interesting question because we we speak so much about economic security uh, that it's helpful to give an idea of uh, what we talk about when we talk about economic security. And uh, in the session in July, we talked about semiconductor export controls, which were also mentioned during the two previous podcasts, outbound investment screening, and we recently saw the United States publishing an executive order for uh, outbound investment screening. We obviously talked about the European Economic Security Strategy and probably will talk a little bit more about this uh, uh, today in this podcast as well. And then how to manage critical dependencies in supply chains. So these are some, not all, but some of the main topics of the economic security debate that is happening globally at the moment. Yes, if we pick out the the European economic strategies, one term that is thrown about quite a lot is the term of de-risking, and it featured in the previous podcasts as well. 
and after being introduced in, in March of this year, it has taken on kind of a life of its own and everybody using it in their own way. So my question to you would be, do the EU and its allies mean the same when they use and employ the term de-risking? This is a great question. Um, and I guess the short answer is not really. The risking has really um, a life of its own and also every actor, every country sort of interprets it uh, in his own way. And I think the first test to this hypothesis that everyone has his own interpretation is the fact that the US so very quickly adopted and supported the idea of de-risking which was an idea born within the, within the European Union. And the reason why this is a test is because even if we think about how the US and the European Union approach one of the main subjects of the risking, which is China, they're very different. The United States sees China as a national security challenge or risk. The European Union officially does not recognize China as a national or regional security risk. So from these, you can see that the idea of de-risking, which embeds the idea of risk, it has to be different. And on top of this, I think um, Vicky Bowman in a report for the Swedish China Center has expressed this very well, saying that de-risking as interpreted by the speech given by Ursula von der Leyen in March is really about reducing risk and is really about the idea that reducing risk is not only about economy, but is also, for example, about diplomacy. And in the, in the diplomatic aspect, there is a positive element, the idea that you reduce risk by engaging. In the way the US sees the risking, first of all, is primarily economic. And secondly, there is an element of uh, decoupling to it, at least selective decoupling in certain areas where the risk is too high, which is not necessarily present in uh, in the EU way of uh, looking at, at risk. Yes, I thought it was very interesting that in your interview with Kazuto Suzuki, he immediately picked up this term and, and said like, well, Japan actually has a policy going back for more or less decades that in essence is doing the same as de-risking. So you could argue that this is kind of a term that springs from Japanese policy as well. That is the other point that I find extremely fascinating. And I, I guess it happens with many different processes and many different approaches that suddenly you find a word or a phrase that works particularly well for things that were already happening or for processes that were already developing either in the European Union, in the US or elsewhere or in, in Japan. And then that that term is adopted by everyone. And that, of course, as we've just mentioned, is a bit of a double edged sword because it gives the impression that everyone agrees, but then devil's in is in the details. And you have a situation in which we're all using the risking, but we probably mean different things. In the conversations as well, you and your uh, interview partners talked a lot about the uh, export controls and the deal reached regarding export controls between the US. Netherlands and Japan. And both interview partners were very keen on pointing out how important it is to work together on these issues, uh, together with allies. Also, how the Netherlands were uh, very 
thoughtful about kind of framing it in a, in a more European sense to take everyone with them uh, on this issue. So another question to you would be, how important is it to work together with allies, with partners uh, on this issue of economic security? The good and bad side at the same time of economic security is that it's basically impossible to do it alone. Even for actors that are much better placed than the European Union, for example, China or the United States, it's very difficult to do economic security alone. It's a matter of collaboration and partnership. And we speak a lot about collaboration and partnership with like-minded countries, but the reality of things is that it does include also collaboration with countries that are not necessarily as like-minded. Now, I don't want to open a can of worms with this topic, but it's, it's just to say, that partnerships and collaborating with other countries is absolutely fundamental. If you think about, without even taking into consideration the European Union, so the internal dynamics of the European Union, and the case of the Netherlands wanting to Europeanize something, but if we look just more broadly, one of the main topic of, ex of economic security is resilience. And the big part of resilience is how do we make supply chains more resilient to disruptions? And I don't see how one can make supply chains more resilient without collaborating with partners to do so, just for the simple fact that a supply chain is often made of multiple countries and multiple actors. Um, so, yes, absolutely. And that's probably the reason why both in von der Leyen's speech um, uh, given 30th of March, again, the speech on China, she mentioned the importance of partnership. But also it's probably because one of is probably the reason why one of the three pillars of the European Union's economic security strategy launched um, in June is uh, partner. So you have the protect pillar, you have the promote pillar, and then you have the partner pillar. And the fact that one of the three pillars is partner really shows how important partnerships are. Something that I, during the interviews as well as conversations about this issue that, that kind of goes around in my head is like, is economic security an issue that is trying to exclude China? from like a, a global economic order, or is it something that just every nation state is very focused on to achieve, to make their own economy more secure for themselves, for their citizens? And if so, is there space for China in this concept to, to cooperate with others? Or is it exclusionary, something that Western allies and partners can participate in? That is an excellent question. Again, so many excellent questions. Mm -hmm. I think it really depends on what we're talking about. It's difficult to make an assessment of the overall economic security agenda. And it's also difficult to make an assessment that includes the thinking of all the countries that are thinking about economic security or even just the, the actors that have been involved or somehow represented in, in this forum. But the Overall idea, and there are, of course, some movements in the spectrum of what I'm about to, to, to talk about, is that you would diversify your um, relationship, your input, your output, and so on and so forth, while protecting yourself from security risks. Now, of course, we could go into what security risks mean, but we, we will not, not here anyways. 
And these can be seen as excluding China or it can be simply seen, and often this is what is advocated, as not excluding China, not necessarily getting out of the Chinese market or decoupling from the relationship of China or not even containing China, although there are some exceptions, of course, but simply making sure that while you advance and you continue your relationship with China, you also have a strategy or a plan in case disruptions emerge in your relationship with China. We cannot deny that China is a big part in the economic security agenda and debate. And a lot of the concerns related to the economic security debate emerge from the relationship with China. But I wouldn't go, especially if we talk about the European Union, I definitely would not go as far as to say that this is an attempt to exclude China. Before I let you go, I would like to ask you what is next on the agenda for economic security? We're now kind of halfway through 2023, a bit further, and have the advancing economic security forum in July in Berlin. So so what is what is ahead of us? We would have to talk for another, I don't know, 15 minutes to go through the the all breadth of the economic security agenda, especially because, to be honest, we are at the beginning of seeing policies materialize uh, in the economic security sphere. But as far as the European Union is concerned, I think we can say a few words, especially considering that the economic security agenda that was set and somehow also framed by the economic security strategy gives some, some suggestions. So we know that, for example, in September, the European Commission should have a critical technologies list from which it should make a proposal for a new list of items for export controls. So here, here we go back a little bit to the debate or then the point that you raised earlier about Europeanizing what has happened in the Netherlands, but taking it a step further and thinking about which are the critical technologies that the European Union as a whole should be protecting. The second point is thinking about outbound investment screening, how the European Union could have a policy on this, whether it should have a policy on this. The other point is, in theory, there should be an overall risk assessment of European economic security. Um, we shall see whether this will materialize. It is not a very easy endeavor at all to do an overall risk assessment, especially if member states are not on board. So we hope member states are on board with this. And these are some of the, the elements that are on the agenda on top of the review of the inbound investment screening regulation. Now, on top of this, we'll continue to have conversations on um, pseudo industry policies, on supply chain resilience and these things that have been ongoing for a few months, few years now, and they will continue to be debated. Thank you, Francesca, for your insights and, and thoughts on, on this issue. It's very interesting and we'll keep an eye out for future developments, especially because these discussions and, and policies are now on the way. And I think once they're out, we'll definitely have a talk about it again, maybe the latest sometime next year when the next forum is coming around. Thank you, Johannes. I would definitely be happy to have a talk with you about this again. 
And for the listeners, do follow the space on economic security because it's going to be full of new things emerging. And uh, in closing, I also want to thank you, Francesca, for hosting the two podcasts. You did a great job. Thank you. Thank you. It was a blast. <laughs> thank you so much. And dear listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.